Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 30, living according to the Spirit. Now we are in part 2. Let's have to read in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So last week, we saw that living according to the Spirit means that we live free of condemnation. We live to please and not grieve the Holy Spirit. We do not set our minds on what the flesh desires. And quite importantly, we do set our minds on what the Spirit desires. Right? And we started to see that at the beginning of Romans 8. And I said Romans 8 is a wonderful culmination of all those previous things that we've read in Romans 1 through 7. And it's setting us up or summarizing these points, but it's also setting us up for the rest of the book. And it's really giving us these wonderful truths in very, very, I mean, it's not, you know, short sentences, short phrases, but deep meaning, right? Broad meaning and, and application for us. And so we, we're looking at these truths or we're considering these truths of how we have to live according to the Spirit. 
Now this week, we're considering three more ways that we have to live according to the Spirit. And there are multiple ways. And the Bible is, is always speaking to us about how we can come to the Lord and how we can live before Him. So there's never going to be an exhaustive list. Like, I can't tell you these are the only 16 things that you must do. I mean, the Bible is quite vast. And the Bible is, is nuanced in how it speaks to us. So when I speak to you this morning and say, here are three more points, that's not just the end of it. Right? Keep digging in. And as Mike was reminding us even earlier, you keep asking the Lord, what is my point of application, Lord? How should I apply this in my life? And the Lord will show you additional things that you need to be aware of or apply and so on. But first and foremost this morning, and first and foremost in terms of these three additional ways to live according to the Spirit, I want to make us aware or make us draw our attention to this point that we live in awareness of our adoption as children of God. When we live according to the Spirit, we live in awareness of our adoption as children of God. Now this is the foundational truth of Christian living. The idea that we are in this father-child relationship with God. That's the foundational aspect of the Christian life. It is not the master-slave. It's not the you know, one who commands, the one who obeys. It's not the, the Lord and you know, of all things so that we are submitted in all of our life to, to the Lord. It's not just the Savior and the one who is saved. I mean, all of that is true. And yet, the Bible emphasizes this relationship of a loving heavenly father with the child. That's just a beautiful image. I, I don't think anything else you know, comes close to this notion of a loving heavenly father, of an almighty God who chooses to relate to us in such intimate ways. And so this is the goal of God's plan of salvation. This was the goal of his plan of redemption, that we should be called the children of God. In fact, John 1.12, it states right at the beginning of that gospel, when we're speaking and we're talking about how the very coming of Jesus, right? And we said the book of Romans is, is helping us to live out the gospel. What is the message in John 1.12? It states that we have been given the right to be called the children of God. We're not just making something up. We're not claiming something that you know, was not offered. You know, we're not usurping some position. God has given us the right to be called the children of God. And we're referring to this unique relationship with God, as verse 14 puts it here, because we have received the Spirit of God through faith and because we are led by the Spirit. Now, this leading of the Spirit here is not primarily about our individual direction and personal decision-making. This is not about which car should I buy, which job should I take, who should I marry. It's not primarily about that. Even though the Lord speaks to us, He gives wisdom, He gives direction, the Spirit is instructing us and inspiring us and so on. This leading, this phrase here that we are led by the Spirit is not primarily about those individual things as much as it is and we've seen this in the preceding chapters, as much as it is about living a victorious Christian life. It is how the Holy Spirit would lead us to live a victorious Christian life. Right? And in doing that, how the Holy Spirit would lead us 
to triumph over sin. And it is how the Holy Spirit would lead us, as 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 states, how the Holy Spirit would lead us in triumphal procession in Christ Jesus. So picture that, and we're going to come back to that even next week. We'll talk about a little bit more about that. But this idea that the Holy Spirit is leading us, he's, he's out there, he's walking, and you know, the Bible speaks about keeping in step with the Spirit. You know, he's leaving the footprints and we're stepping into it. We're, he's leading us into this life. Right? And that's the image that we want to have. That's the truth that we want to emphasize. So as we look at this and we say, okay, the Lord is leading us in triumphal possession in Christ to do what? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, to spread the knowledge of him everywhere like a sweet perfume. That's the purpose of the Lord leading us, of the Spirit leading us. It's not just for our personal gain. Right? We are taken care of. God provides for us. He is a good, loving, heavenly father to us. But he leads us so that we may triumph over sin and that we may share the very fragrance of life, the very fragrance of God, that we would be a sweet aroma to the people around us. So he leads us into those places and into those lives and into those circumstances where we are exhibiting, manifesting the spirit. We live according to the spirit. Now, it is significant that Paul uses this analogy of adoption that would have been well known to his audience. He uses that analogy to describe the fact that we were not originally in this relationship with God. We were estranged from God. We are his creation, and in that sense you can talk about an offspring or you know, so on, the children of God, in that sense, general sense, we can say. But, but when we speak about this unique, this special relationship that God has with us, we're speaking about a relationship that was not true for us until we came to faith in Christ Jesus. We were estranged from God. And then we were adopted as his children. Now, in the Roman world, when a person was adopted, their debts and legal obligations were accounted for, or they were transferred to the adoptive father. Right? The person that was being adopted received the father's name and became an heir of all that the father had. And the person that was being adopted took on the obligations and responsibilities of honoring and pleasing their father. So, Understanding that contextual background about adoption in the Roman world helps us better understand Paul's statement because when he says to the people, especially the people in Rome there, he says, we were adopted. They, they go, oh, I understand that. I understand what that implies. You know, this is what I would see when I look at adoption around me. Oh, Paul's saying that God took us like that. And now we are in this relationship with him. And so he helps us through this, using this analogy, to better understand how God has received us. All the debts are canceled. We receive God's name. We are an heir of all of the, that the Lord has. And we seek to live, uh, or we live to, to, uh, to please and to honor our Father, the one who has adopted us. Right? And notice, notice what is stated in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, as the explicit benefits of this adoption. Look at what it says. First and foremost, it says, we, are, we have security. We don't live in fear. We don't live in fear. 
How many things in our lives are motivated by fear? Maybe not a crippling fear, maybe not a panic fear, maybe not you know, an overwhelming, lingering fear, but many things in our lives we do because of fear. Oh, I don't know what will happen, I better do this. I don't know what, you know, where the, oh, you know, if I don't do this, then this may happen. And we do things out of fear. So many things, so many decisions that we make, we make out of fear. And the Bible says that when we are adopted in Christ Jesus, verse 15 there, we don't live in fear. We live in faith. The opposite of fear there is faith. You know, even as Carolyn had shared, you know, that we live in faith. We are able to have that security in Christ. Second thing, same in verse 15, we have authority. We have the Father's authority. He brings us to himself, he adopts us into his family, and then he gives us his authority. And he says, in my name, you can do these things. Not in your name, in your power, in your capability, but in my name. I'm giving you this authority. So, security, authority. Thirdly, we have intimacy. This word that is used here, and, and, it, and it says, we cry, Abba, Father. It's like a little two-year-old that would cry out for the parent. The way that that little child calls out in an intimate, personal way for their parent is different than any other person. They have an intimacy of relationship with that parent. And they cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba in Aramaic is a very intimate term. It's like, you know, more like how we would say Daddy. It's not just my father, you know, or, you know, some, you know, some formal title or something like that. It's, it's an intimate term. It's saying, Abba, Father, I cry out to you. Oh, my Daddy, I cry out to you. Right? And, and so we have intimacy as we are adopted into the Lord's family. Then we have assurance. In verse 16 it says, The Spirit himself testifies that we are the children of God. It's not us making a claim. The Holy Spirit himself testifies about us that we are God's child. That's, that's pretty strong assurance. That's a pretty great proof. That's a pretty strong you know, truth for us to hang on to. Whenever there's a doubt, whenever there's some sort of you know, confusion, we don't, we don't go to our statement, well, I believe, I believe, I believe. We say, well, the Spirit himself is testifying. The Spirit himself is assuring me that I am God's child. Oh, praise God. Right? We have that assurance. Next, we have inheritance. We receive all that is the Lord's. He gives us all that is His. I, you know, think about that. The Bible says the cattle on a thousand hills are His. The silver and the gold are His. You know, everything in the world is His. And then the Bible says, He gives us all things richly to enjoy. He gives it to us. Now, again, I'm not at all suggesting to you that He gives it to us to waste on our sinful desires. And we'll get to a little bit more about that. But He gives us all that we need. He gives us everything. He's, everything that is there that we need for life and godliness, God gives it. We have it as our inheritance. We are his child. Right? And last but not least, when we are adopted, we suffer. We've talked about this before, but look at this. It says we will suffer. And when we suffer, in our sufferings, what do we do? We glory. We rejoice. Why? 
because there are two things that happen in our suffering. One, there may be some discipline of the Lord that's taking place, and we talked about that. And the second is that we are bearing the family resemblance, the likeness of God, because just as he suffered, you will also suffer. So, again, you know, we, we go through the first part of that list and we say, yes, yes, yes. And we get to this last item and say, oh, no. We receive it just as we do the previous items. Hey, look, there's going to be some suffering, and we're coming to more of that too. You know, we, we, there will be some stuff that will happen to you. Because of my name's sake, you will suffer. Some, something will happen, right? Something will go wrong somewhere. But in the midst of it all, in the midst of that suffering, oh, I'm with you, and you're still my child, and you're coming into something that is far greater than what you're going through. And stay in there, right? So let me get to that in just a second. But every day of our lives, we live according to the Spirit by remembering who we are in Christ Jesus. We are the children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is a truth that must so motivate us, so fill us, so empower us. We say, oh God, what a privilege, what a glory that I am your child. I am the child of God. We are in the family of God. And so even as we live with the awareness of our identity, there's such confusion, such difficulty in the world around us because of a lack of identity, not knowing who you are and where you belong. Right? And it has nothing to do with earthly things. It is knowing who we are in Christ Jesus. Even as we live in the awareness of our identity, with the awareness of our identity and our adoption benefits, we also live in awareness of our present reality and our future glory. We live in awareness of our present reality and our future glory. If you look at these verses, it's very, very clear that we realize, we, we see, we, it's very clear to us when we look around us that we live in a fallen and broken world. It says, creation has been subjected to frustration because of the sin of the world, because of the sin of men. Creation, all that we see around us and we enjoy a beautiful day and we go out on the lake or we do something else and we say, oh, what a wonderful creation that the Lord has given us. But creation itself has been subjected to frustration. Creation has been affected by sin. And creation is waiting in eager expectation of the fulfillment of all of God's plan. Creation around us is awaiting, is in eager expectation. The trees and the fields and the cattle and the, you know, all that you see around you is eagerly expecting and waiting for God's plan to be fulfilled. In the meantime, even as we experience all of God's goodness and grace, we experience hurt, loss, physical trouble, mental anguish. We experience pain. We experience suffering. And it's tough. There's no easy way to get around that. There's nothing to say, oh, no, no, no. 
you know, don't worry about it. And, and this, this suffering that we experience is not just an illusion, it's not something that is, that is simply in, uh, you know, in our minds, it's real. We experience these things and we grieve with those that grieve and we, we come alongside those that are in difficult circumstances. But in the middle of it all, even as we experience all this, even though all this is going on, even though we are groaning inwardly, that's what the verse says, we groan inwardly. Sometimes we groan out loud too. right? But we, we groan inwardly is what the verse is saying. There's still a hope that we have. Notice that in the middle of all of this description, what is the word that comes up? Hope. Hope. Eager expectation. That's the meaning of biblical hope. Eager expectation, not wishful thinking. Hope in the Bible is not, I wish something will happen. I wish this will change. Hope in the Bible is, I'm eagerly expecting this change. I'm eagerly expecting God's plan to be fulfilled. I'm eagerly expecting for this promise that the Lord has made to come true. I'm eagerly expecting for him to open the way. Yeah, I'm eagerly expecting. I have hope. The very difficulties that we're going through today and we're going through in the present, they point to a glorious deliverance in the future. Now, clearly, as the Lord answers prayer, we experience a measure of that right now, right here in the earth. And we want that. We need that. We don't, we don't say to the Lord, Lord, let me just suffer you know, without any kind of you know, relief until I get to heaven. We say, please relieve my suffering. Help me. Heal me. Right? You know, we, we call out to the Lord in those ways. And we experience a measure of that. We experience the deliverance of the Lord and the, you know, the, the help of the Lord. And you know, we recover from even a little paper cut because of the grace of the Lord to deliver us in the earth today. We, we experience all of that. But we're looking forward to a full and final consummation of this. We're looking forward to that full deliverance in when we will be joined with the Lord in eternity. And that's the eager expectation and the hope that we have. And if we are hoping for what we eagerly expect, that means it is not yet here. It is yet to come. And therefore, we wait patiently. Oh, tough. That's tough. Right? We've talked about this in the recent past too. Tough to wait patiently. Tough to wait patiently for something else to change. Because you want to go and make that change, right? You want to go and make it happen. You see somebody doing something and you say, if only they would do this. And then you want to go and make that happen. You say, let me tell you what you can do. But we've got to be patient. And say, Lord God, you do your work. You do your work in your way. You do your work in your way in your time. And when you do that, oh, that'll be the right way that, that's opened up. Right? If I try to force something, if I, if I go and you know, cut the cocoon that the butterfly is in so that it can come out faster, you, do, you know this, right? The butterfly will not be well formed. It cannot, it cannot survive. Right? You cannot help it along. It has to come out at its time. It has to struggle through that. And it's that process of coming through that cocoon that actually uh, come out of the pupa that, that, that actually causes it to be that beautiful butterfly. I mean, you know all these kinds of things. But what I'm trying to say to you is this. The Lord says to us, be patient. And he will give us the means 
of being patient if we look to him. So every day, when we're fully aware of our present reality and all the troubles and afflictions and everything else, we're fully aware of it. We're not blinding ourselves to it. We're not denying something. You know, we're not living in denial. We're aware of all of the present reality. But we are gloriously, wonderfully aware of what's awaiting us, of the, of the, of the hope that we have, of the joy that is set before us. We know what is ahead. And we say, oh God, because of that, every day of my life, I will live according to the Spirit in patience and contentment because when I am weak, then you are strong. And that's what the Word tells us here in this portion, that we live according to the Spirit in awareness of our weaknesses and the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. In our weaknesses, oh, the Spirit helps us. Verse 26 says this, in the same way, or likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. What way? Just as God's grace and hope helps us, the Spirit helps us. The Spirit is at work in us, right? In what weaknesses? Well, when we are uncertain about the future and don't know what to do. When our momentary troubles seem like permanent afflictions. And maybe they've been there for years. Maybe it's just afflicting you significantly. And when you're going through that, it, it is tough. When, it, when, when that's happening, when we're going through those weak moments, when our momentary troubles seem like per permanent afflictions, when we risk losing hope, we, we have a hope, but how long, Lord? How long can I keep doing this? How long can I keep holding on? Lord, nothing seems to be improving. And we are at the risk of losing that hope. We become weak. Yeah? And when we are running out of patience, Lord, I've been patient. I've been patient. But I just don't see the deliverance. I've been patient with this person. I've been patient with the circumstances. I've been patient with you, God. And we stand at risk of losing that patience. In all those moments of weakness, in all those times when our strength is failing, oh, we desperately need the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. Listen to verses 26 and 27 again. We do not know what we ought to pray for even, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. What could be better? What could be better? The Holy Spirit, God himself, who of course knows the mind and will of God, searches our hearts, knows our hearts better than we know ourselves. We could deceive ourselves. But the Holy Spirit searches our hearts and then prays from within us in accordance with the will of God. I, how could you not want this? I mean, you know, how could you say, I'm good, I've got it. You know, Holy Spirit, yeah, okay, thanks. You know, thanks for the offer. 
I mean, listen to this. The Holy Spirit, who searches our hearts and knows what we're thinking and desiring and feeling and what we really need and everything, he knows us completely. And also is in complete tune with the will of God, prays from within us according to the will of God. Wow. When we are painfully aware of our own weaknesses, there is an incredible strength that God has already provided for us. He has promised us his Holy Spirit who fills us and leads us so that we can live according to his will. Now, when we talk about the Holy Spirit praying from within us with words and groans, that we can, words that we cannot even express. Now, you know some of these times, I was saying just a few minutes ago that sometimes we groan inwardly and sometimes we groan outwardly. We groan and moan to people or we groan and moan to ourselves or whatever. But in the middle of all of that, sometimes we don't even know what to pray. And, and we're literally just coming to the Lord and saying, oh God, I don't know, I'm in trouble. I'm, and, and we groan to the Lord like that. Right? But these words that are not expressed or cannot be expressed, the Bible doesn't explicitly state here praying in tongues or speaking in tongues because it's implied. The idea that the Holy Spirit would fill us and would tame our tongues and would allow us to pray to him in tongues is implied. And again, we can talk more about that. I'm glad to cover that in the sermon discussion and so on as to why I think that and where that would come from. But I encourage you that you would say, Lord, I want all of you in every way and in, in whatever measure that you would have for me. I don't want to limit the Holy Spirit. I don't want to say, well, I've got it under control. I don't need the help of the Holy Spirit. And then even when I receive the help of the Holy Spirit and he starts to pray from within me, I don't want to say, well, uh, you know, Lord, Holy Spirit, if you could pray from within me at seven, from 7 to 7.30, that would be great. But the rest of the time, I'm busy, right? Or we don't want to say, well, Holy Spirit, I, it's okay for you to pray from within me, but don't pray in all these tongues. We don't need to limit the Lord, right? We say, Lord, do you want to pray through me? And you want to take control of my tongue and you want to pray in tongues through me? Do it. I don't say, oh, what will people think? You know? I, I say, Lord, you, you, you fill me and you lead me and you be in me in whatever measure you want. I yield to you. So it's not a question of, should you pray in tongues? Should you not pray in tongues? Is it speaking specifically about praying in tongues? You know, when you don't pray with words, is that what that means? That's not the argument. This point that is being made is, let the Holy Spirit help you in your weakness. Let the Holy Spirit help you. Period. When he helps you, he may do multiple things. Right? He, he will just use you. So, as he does, as you're yielded, as you come to him, if the Holy Spirit leads you to pray in tongues and to be filled to overflowing in that way, wonderful, great, do it. So that's just what is implied here. Let the Holy Spirit pray from within you. And you know that this is not just about tongues or even groans. You know many times when you have come in prayer to the Lord and you start to pray and you wait on the Lord and you're you know, praying according to the word of God and you're asking the Holy Spirit to pray from within you. Sometimes words will come up from within you. You will express a prayer request to the Lord and you know. You know, oh, this was not just me saying something. 
This was the Holy Spirit leading me to pray like this. Oh God, I resonate with that prayer. As the words are coming out of your mouth, you're going, yeah! Right? And, and you know. Sometimes it may be when you're praying for somebody else. You go and you lay hands on them or you just are standing with them or you text them. You text them a prayer or you pray with them on the, on the phone. You, you just are praying with that person and the words that come out of your mouth or the words that come to express that prayer to that person, you go, oh, this was of the Holy Spirit. This was clearly the Holy Spirit leading me to pray like this. Thank you, God. In my weakness, your strength is made manifest. And so every day of our lives, we live according to the Spirit by being filled and being led by the Spirit. Which brings us to our point of application that we respond and apply. We apply the Word of God that we have heard by being filled with the Spirit to live as children of God. We constantly remember. We remind each other. We constantly keep coming back to the Scripture and we say, thank you, Lord, that I'm your child. Help me to live by the Spirit. Help me to live according to the Spirit. Help me to be filled with the Spirit. Help me to be led by the Spirit. Help me to have the strength of the Spirit helping me in my weakness. We just come to Him. And I started out by saying that we rejoice in our adoption as the children of God and that we are being led in triumphal procession in Christ Jesus. It's that same foundational truth that we return to in the last few verses of this portion that we read today, verses 28 through 30. What does it say? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. We experience the measure of the glory of the Lord here on this earth. One day in eternity, we will experience it in full. But this is the plan of God that he is progressing us, moving us forward to that glory. And he is revealing himself in us. In Romans chapter 9 and in, verse, and in chapter 11, we'll get into a little bit more about election and predestination and so on. So I'm not addressing those points here this morning. But this morning I want to emphasize that for those who love him, those who love the Lord, who have been called his own, those who belong to him, those who are his children, he will work all things together for good and he will bring us into his glory. That's the promise. That's the statement. And I want you to pay attention to this, even as we have spoken about it in the previous weeks. The good that God is working out for us is not for the pleasures and the power and the prestige and the position or the possessions of this world. The good that God is working out for us is not the gratifications of the desires of the flesh. The good that God is working out for us is to transform us into his image. That's what it says. Being made more like him. He works all things together for Good. What good? That we would be more like him. 
Not, he works all things together for good. What good? Million dollars. No. Huh? He works all things together for good, that we would be more like him, that we would follow after him, that we would be rejoicing in him, that we would manifest him, that we would share him. Oh, praise God. The good that, work, that is at work in us is to set our minds on what the Spirit desires. It is to set our minds on things above. It is to worship God. Which means that our only response, our only point of application, our, 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 the, way that, the only way that we can is to say, Oh God, I want to live according to the Spirit. I want to be filled by the Spirit. I want to obey you. I want to love you. I want to live close to you. I want to be in this intimacy of relationship that you have called me to. Oh God, I want you. That's the, that's the power. That's the glory. That's the grace of what the Lord has called us to. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much. And Lord, your word is so powerful for us, so complete. Lord God, I thank you that you give us life, that your Holy Spirit gives us strength, that Lord, you fill us and you call us and you love us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we are your children. What a glorious privilege. Adopted into the family of God. Saved, redeemed, set free, delivered. Thank you, Jesus. There is no better condition, better state that we could be in. There is no more glorious truth that we could experience. Thank you for that. Lord, this week, this rest of the month, the year, the years, the days ahead, Lord God, help us to do this, to walk according to the Spirit, to live according to the Spirit. Lord, to, to recognize that we are your children, to know what our present reality is, but to be filled with hope for everything to be fulfilled according to your plan and to let the Holy Spirit, oh Lord, the Holy Spirit, to pray and to ask from within us according to your will. Lord God, when we don't know how to pray or don't know what your will is, fill us with your Holy Spirit. That's all we need. Fill us, Lord. Let your power be manifest in us. Thank you, Jesus. Father, as a church, we commit to walk in your ways. And we want every one of us, everyone that is here, everyone that will listen to this later, everyone, Lord, that is joining to this church, everyone that is in the body of Christ all over the world, we want to live and move and have our being in you. We want to live according to the Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.